Hello, this is your host, Eric Fleming. And before I get to the podcast, I want to make this special appeal. Jackson, Mississippi was my home for 34 years. My son was born there, and I have family and friends that live there. Now they, along with 150,000 other residents of the city with Seoul, are in a crisis that was years in the making. On August 29th, the citizens of the largest city in Mississippi lost their access to the municipal water system. A city that is 83% black has lost access to safe drinking water. A city in which one out of four citizens live below poverty has lost access to safe drinking water. They need our help. The Mississippi Rapid Response Coalition is asking you, your friends and neighbors, to give to help them reach their goal of $2 million. Funds raised will be used to purchase water, transport water to households, purchase reusable water containers, storage space for water filters, essentials, and other items needed during what is expected to be at least a year without safe water. Go to peoplesadvocacyinstitute.com to find out more how you can help. That's peoplesadvocacyinstitute.com. Thank you. This podcast episode is dedicated to Frederick P. Charleston, Sr. Esquire. Uh, Mr. Charleston uh, passed away on September 3rd, 2022. He was a distinguished attorney and activist in the Denver, Colorado, and the Baltimore, Maryland area. But And he was a man who had a profound impact on my life, primarily because he was my uncle. So rest in peace, Uncle Fred, uh, and much love to my Jean and my cousins, Pele, Ayana, and Asan. Hello, and welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. I am your host, Eric Fleming. And today we've got two guests and it's going to be two men. I know some of y'all might've noticed I've had a lot of females on the show, but I have had some men on the show and uh, some African-American men. So today I've got two brothers that's going to come on. Uh, First one, is Larry Sharp, um, and I'm gonna do his intro so you can understand where we're coming from on this in the first part. Larry Sharp is a husband, father, Marine veteran, entrepreneur, teacher, and political activist. His mission is to help people find happiness through community and purpose, often by overcoming bad policy decisions in government. He was the 2018 Libertarian New York State gubernatorial candidate and garnered over 100,000 votes, more than any previous Libertarian candidate. 
his ability to connect with liberal and conservative voters across the political spectrum enabled the Libertarian Party to achieve automatic ballot access for the first time in New York State history. Watch his video podcast, yes, I'm plugging somebody else, The Sharp Way, most weeknights at 7 p.m. Eastern, and be on the lookout for his upcoming book on happiness. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to present Larry Sharp. All right, Brother Sharp, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, and so I've already plugged your show, so I know you got to get off of here and, and do that so you can make your money. But uh, I wanted to just steal a little time from you and pick your brain. Um, and I wanted to start with, on your website, you identify yourself as a forward libertarian uniter. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, Define what that means, and in the process, define libertarianism. Libertarians are about the idea of you being as liberal or as conservative as you want to be. Just don't force your views upon others. If you want people to be like you, you want people to be more liberal or more conservative, you can use your works, you can use your example, you can use your words, you can use your protests, use all those things to try to get people to be more like you. No worries at all. But once you use the force of government, now you've changed. Now it's gone from, I'm just going to impose my will upon you. And when the other guy wins, or gal, they will then impose their will upon you at that point, And we'll swap back and forth. That's not uniting. That's why I say I'm a uniter. What we have right now is a deeper and deeper divide. And each person deciding, I'm going to enforce my will upon you. Never forget, Bush got us Obama. Obama got us Trump. Trump got us Biden. So whatever side you like, you were unhappy half of the time, but right? it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> so it just went back and forth, right? Whatever side you prefer doesn't really matter. And what I mean by forward is even the forward party, Yang's party is actually backing me because they know what I know, which is this divide of left and right is destroying our country. And we have to have a way of having a third party walk in that door and have a conversation that can keep both people at least satisfied and we can start talking. The example I give is generally speaking, the left would rather have wealthier companies and wealthier people pay for many of the people who are in need. And as general rule, the right would like no taxes, stop that bad idea, right? That's generally speaking, uh, it's a very generic rule I know, but I'm being generic on purpose because the ideas I come up with actually do both. One of them I brought up is the idea of leasing out naming rights to bridges, right? And, and tunnels, that those something here in New York City where I am. So instead of naming the bridge the Mario Cuomo Bridge or the RFK Bridge, you literally lease it out like football stadiums, right? So it's the Google Bridge or the Pepsi Bridge or the whatever bridge, right? Whatever it is, that thing, it's, it's that thing for the bridge. They'll pay $100 million a year for a bridge in New York City. Easy. They drop $20 million for you know, stadiums. If they, again, lease the naming rights, the bridge is still owned by the state and of the city, depending on where the bridge is. Some, some bridges are owned by the state, some by the city. So we still own it. We still inspect it to make sure it's still safe. They have to pay for maintenance also as part of the deal, like they would with the stadium too. They have different uh, amount of money to pay for that. That money now goes towards the MTA. So now the subway system, which is used by the working poor and the middle class, is now cheaper. And the bridges now have no need for tolls. So no tolls for the bridges. Who uses the bridges? 
the middle class. That's who uses the bridges, who uses the subway system, the working poor in the middle class. So now the wealthy are voluntarily paying for the working poor in the middle class. These are the type of things that I come up with that keeps the left happy because, okay, we're, we're servicing the working poor and middle class and the right happy in that there's no extra taxes. Now people will say, but Larry, if they're gonna spend this extra money, then they're gonna raise prices for everybody. No, not at all. Companies like Google, their, their marketing budget is in the billions of dollars, just their marketing budget. They will just take some of those marketing dollars, they were gonna get to Facebook or to whatever, YouTube, and they'll put it into a bridge. Instead, the same marketing done, in fact, they'll get more from it. That bridge gets mentioned hundreds of times every single day um, in traffic reports, people see it. It's a, these are the type of ideas I mean, and that's how we unite. We understand that the goal is the same, better services for Americans. The question is how you get there. That's how you unite. All right, and you're kind of a man after my own heart in, in that sense, because one of the things, uh, full disclosure, I don't know if you did any check on me, but I was a state legislator for nine years in Mississippi. And one of the things I was accused of was coming up with ideas. I, I used to introduce like 150 bills a year. Uh, that's, so, that's a bad thing in today's world. Don't do that. So, yeah. So, matter of fact, one of my opponents, uh, that was that was their beef with me that I was introducing too many bills. So, you know, I appreciate people that think out of the box and all that. Yep. Um, I wanted to ask you, this question, is libertarianism more in line with the African-American political philosophy than the Democratic or the Republican Party? Sadly, yes. And why I say sadly, because most of the black community doesn't understand it. And let me tell you why. The Republican Party has been demonized so badly that most black Americans just vote for Democrats because they hate Republicans. That's, a, that's the wrong reason to vote Democrat. I'm not saying you shouldn't vote Democrat because it's in your best interest, right? But you shouldn't vote for Democrats because you hate Republicans. You should vote for Democrats because you believe they're in your best interest. But actually, libertarians are. And how do I know that? Malcolm X is a libertarian. That's how I know that, right? The idea of libertarianism, and if you ask a Democrat, how will you help the black community? A Democrat will say, programs, money, programs, money, and every four years I'll show up and pretend like I care about you. A Republican will go, um, I have a black friend. I think that's what a Republican will do. There's not really a problem. Your bootstraps, pick up your buy bootstraps. That's what Republicans will say. What will libertarians say? Libertarians will say several things. Number one, let's end unnecessary licensing. When I was a kid in the Bronx, the, the girls used to sit out in, the, uh, in front of the stoop and braid hair to make money, right? That's against the law in New York City now. In New York State, you need a license now for $20,000. So what does that mean? Well, now cops come by and harass people, You almost always black women who are doing hair. I mean, others do it also, but it's heavily black women who are doing hair. They harass them, find them, close their stores down. That's what they do. Get rid of that licensing. Why do you even have that? Dog walking. Why is that even an issue, right? That's literally a license in New York City. Shouldn't happen. This is where many people who've been through the system, you know what I mean by the system, as they come out of the system and try to make things happen, they struggle. I know my mom was a felon. My mom was an addict. The system is, is breaking that down. Stop this unnecessary licensing, number one. But I'm not done. Next, treat cannabis like a, a plant. I'm not joking. My, my, what I would say is if you like your dealer, keep your dealer. Seriously, just let the guys who've been in prison, who are now coming out, let them work. Let them deal again. Let them deal legally. Let them go down to this, to just get an LLC or S Corp 
pay their taxes. You know, if something goes wrong, they don't have to have a, a, a firearm on them anymore. No need to have a bat on them anymore. Just call the cops and steal your weed. Because it's legal now. You open up your own store. Start working back and forth. When I was, uh, when I was a kid again in the Bronx, we didn't have Uber. And the cabs wouldn't come to my neighborhood. So what do we have? Gypsy cabs. We had gypsy cabs, right? Back in the day, one guy would paint one door of his car a different color. And you would know, oh, okay, it's a red car with a blue door. That's gypsy cab. So let people work. That's a critical piece. Stop putting people in jail for no reason, right? And end the end the mass incarceration. Start erasing people's um, start erasing people's records and let people go back into work the way they want to work. You start doing that, you will change everything. I'll go one step further. You really want to help out so many so many Black Americans are sitting in government housing. You know what you do? Change the system to make it all rent to own. Let's start giving Black families ownership. Let's start giving black family. When my father got us out of the Bronx, we bought a house. Ownership. Let's start getting, let's, what immigrant communities do well is they have a heavy entrepreneurial spirit. For too many of us, the state has broken our back on that. It broke our back because it destroyed us in the early 1900s when it literally burned what we built from after the Civil War to the ground. It literally stole our wealth. And I mean, literally, they brought troops in and stole our wealth. And then after we fought again for them in World War II, they decided to give everybody else housing but us, which destroyed our credit. So now once that was done in the 70s and 80s, we couldn't have credit. So that destroyed our credit because we didn't have literally decades of building. Let's change all of that. That is how you will help the Black community out. That's how you will. No Democrat will tell you that. No Republican will tell you that. Yeah, I... I, I the 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 rent to own piece just you know now that we're free thinking um the only the only concern i have with the rent to own piece now chicago and I, I i i don't know if new york has done the same thing but chicago got rid of all of the housing projects and in atlanta pretty much have done the same thing so in chicago back in the day if we had that program say in the 80s right then it would have turned Cabrini Green to Cabrini Condos, I guess, because they have been renting to own, right? How would that Gentrification work? is only a problem if you're a renter. If you're an owner, gentrification is great. You happy about gentrification if, if you know, if, if you're an owner, you want it. You want to raise the property value. Look, but it's optional rent to own. Some people are being transient, right? They're up here for a certain period of time. They don't want to own, no worries. But here's the reality. Wealthy people, when they move, they get a check because they always have equity when they move. People aren't wealthy when they move. If they're lucky, they get half their deposit back if they're lucky. Otherwise, they get nothing back, right? So you move, you just poor. But the wealthy, oh no, every time they move, they get a check because they always got equity. And we need the black community to understand equity matters, ownership matters, money's important. And we've lost that. We don't even, we don't even care about passing stuff down to our kids half the time. It's not a good place to be. And we've got to change that. It's not about a government program. It's not the answer. I don't want to hand out jobs. It's not the right answer. You can see it already. You see, you see how so many people in all poor communities, obviously Black America too, but in all poor communities, those who succeed are those who attack aggressively in entrepreneurship. And the war on drugs is actually a war on Brown and Black entrepreneurship. That's what it actually is. Yeah, and I, and I totally agree with that. I, and I've always defended the fact that 
the young men that you see on the street corner are as talented, if not more talented than all the folks that go to Warden or uh, any other business school in the United States because they're applying. I have literally taught at both the graduate level of Yale and Columbia. And I will tell you that is true. Yeah, because they're applying the same principles. They just use different terms, right? Instead of market share, they say the corner. I mean, you know, that's just, that's really how that works. All right. That's correct. So what did you learn from your experience running for governor, especially in a state like New York? Because everybody talks about how big Texas is and, uh, you know, Georgia's got 159 counties, which it still blows my mind that it's got that many. Uh, You know, Mississippi's 82 with 3 million people. In New York, you've got New York City and then you've got Albany, and you've got Buffalo up there by by um, Lake Huron, am I right? Or Lake Erie? Which yeah, one? Lake Ontario. Ontario. Lake Ontario. Right. So those three well, cities. Lake Ontario, Lake Erie. Yeah. It's between both. Okay. All right. So my geography is not that bad. But it's it like, um, I mean, just those three cities alone are really, really diverse, let alone the rest of the state, you know, Poughkeepsie and Syracuse, all that stuff. How how difficult was that running as a third party candidate, trying to uh, be viable and also to bring these kind of ideas to the forefront? It was insanely challenging because the problem is the two party system does not want me to talk. Right? They want to keep me down. In fact, they sued me off the ballot just recently. Um, the the Republicans uh, and the Conservative Party got together and said, we don't want to have anyone else on the ballot besides us and the Democrats. So they actually went to civil court and threw me off the ballot. And judges, sadly, in New York State tend to be, judges in New York State tend to be state lackeys. They tend to just follow whatever the state says. Here's my impression of most New York State judges. Hmm, some other judge years ago said something. That was stupid. I'm just going to be stupid with him. That's what most of them do. They don't actually think and change and fix things. That's not a thing New York State judges tend to do. So they they didn't do that either. They just said, oh, let's just throw Larry Sharp off the ballot. So I'm off the ballot. So I actually have to be written in right now. That's how bad it is for me. And I was on the ballot last time and I got 100,000 votes. And they still didn't think I was valid enough to do it this time. I poll in my state at 7%. And they don't think I deserve to be on the ballot. I want to be clear. That's not, that, you can check that data out. I average, my average polling is 5%. And they think I should not be on the ballot. That is how bad this state is. And it's because of the two-party system. What you just said, the reason why those people got mad at you is in a two-party system, nobody wants to fix anything. Because if you fix stuff, you can't use it as a wedge issue to scare people into voting for you. And the goal in today's policies is just scare people into voting for you. You have to vote for me because the other guy's evil. You've got you've to keep the, every election is the most important election ever. Every election is critical. Everyone is the end of the world. The evil guy or gal is going to get you every single time. I fight that not only in politics, but in courts, as I've just told you, but also in the press. So the only way that I'm able to get press is through things like Joe Rogan and Dave Rubin and Glenn Beck. I have, I have to go on other shows, Bosch and Destiny. I have to go on other shows to get, my, to get my name out. Your show. I go on every show that I possibly can to get my name out because mainstream media will not follow me unless it's a hit piece. If they're going to call me names or make me look stupid, then they absolutely will, will, will give me uh, time. But anything that will sh- uh, show my policies, they won't. And how do I know no one will fix anything? 
I've had my policies on my webpage for five years. Not one politician has taken them to fix New York State. Not one. Not one. They don't want to fix it. So how did I do it? I got in a car with volunteers and we drove around the state. I'm not joking. I've crossed my state every single year for the past five years. I have, I have 18 million people, 62 counties. I've gone to all of them every year for five years. And my counties are so diverse. My smallest county has 4,500 people. My largest county has 2.3 million. So we are very diverse. Absolutely correct. And about one third, maybe 40% of the population is in New York City. Yeah, I, I figured that. And, and actually, that's a smaller percentage than what I would think because um, in, I'm, I'm here in Georgia now and I think the Georgia metro area, you count Atlanta metro area, you count as 20, 20, 22 counties. That's 60% of the state's population. So yeah. whoever wins those 22 counties pretty much is in the driver's seat, you know, statewide. Mississippi, I think Jackson represented, uh, in its heyday, it represented maybe about 7 to 10% of the state population. Mm. Uh, because it's yeah. only 3 million people and now it's down to 150,000 in Jackson. So, um, and New York city is about 8 million people and the state's about 18 million. It's about 40% give or take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you kind of touched on it a little bit, but because you had mentioned something about Andrew Yang's, uh, party or what he's trying to do. Yep. Should so the question I guess is pretty obvious. Should there be a viable third party in American politics? If there isn't, this country is not going to last. And I don't mean that. There's no hyperbole in that statement. You can see already we are fracturing ourselves left and right, deeper and deeper. And with fractured media, it becomes even harder to the point where we're not even having friends who don't think what we think. We're not dating with people we don't we don't think. We can't talk to people who don't think what we think. This is a problem, and not just that. That means two things are happening. One, people are doubling down on the hardcore left and right, or they're checking out completely. And sadly, more and more are checking out. Because the second you question either one, you become the bad guy. What? You question what we in the extreme have said is true? Mm, you're not one of us anymore. So now you either jump to the other extreme or you check out. If your population checks out and only the extreme, the extreme work, Things aren't going to go well. We already don't trust our electoral system. We don't trust our judges. We don't trust the, our, our institutions in general. We don't trust the media. Culture cannot survive when you don't trust your institutions. It just can't. There's no culture at that point. You have to trust something, right? So how do you fix that? Think about it. It's you. You and your spouse, you and your significant other, you and your family member, you and your close friend, you and your business partner. When you're at odds and you can't talk, you bring in somebody else to say, hey, Guys, can we have a conversation here, right? I know you're mad at him and he's mad at you and whatever. Can we have a conversation? A third party has to come in to fix this. That's us. Do I believe the Libertarian Party is going to rule the world and all of a sudden all Americans become Libertarians next year? Next year? No, of course not. But even if the Libertarian Party was just a viable party, meaning 10 to 15% of America, that's it. That's all it was. It would mean now you can have conversations. And here's my actual example. Justin Amash was a libertarian in Congress back in 2020. George Floyd's killed. When George Floyd's killed, the left yells, abolish the, the police, defund the police, 
and the right yells back to blue, I think it's changed. But one guy did want to change something. Justin Amash, who was a libertarian, he put together a bill to end qualified immunity. And he had, he, by himself, he's the only libertarian. So he had to literally go to both the left and the right to see if he can get people together, and he did. He got a tripartisan bill, the first one ever. The first one ever. Now, you may be or not be against ending qualified immunity. I don't know what you, you or your audience believes. But this was an actual bill, to your point earlier, to fix something, to do something. They didn't just get behind and yell, defund the police or back to blue. They didn't do that. He said, here is an actual answer, and both sides get on board. Why? In today's world, if you're a Democrat and you cross the aisles of the Republicans, you lose your seat. If you're a Republican, you cross the aisle to Democrats, you lose your seat. But both can talk libertarians. We're not the evil ones. Some of the we're the crazy ones, which sometimes is true, but we're not <laughs> the evil ones. So you can talk to us at least, and we can actually have a conversation, and now we can push the bills. So even with 10%, now there's a conduit to get things done. Not just that, now there is a way of creating a coalition. So when one side's in charge, in my case in New York State, Democrats run everything. It's a one-party system. Right, Georgia is much more purple compared to New York. New York is solid blue. A Republican has not won a statewide election in my state. Nothing, not senator, governor, AG, controller, nothing in 20 years. So my state's solid blue. The, uh, Kathy Hochul, our governor, is going to win in November. There's, there's no, anyone who thinks that's not true does not understand my state. Solid blue state. We're almost three to one Democrat Republican across the state. New York City, six to one, Democrats, Republicans. We're a solid blue state. So with that in mind, how do you create a coalition against the establishment? What happens when one party rule is corrupt? In my state, nothing. Nothing happens. They just stay corrupt. Nothing happens, right? But if you can create a third party, you can create a coalition against the establishment. And that's the key. So yes, Andrew Yang understands that. I understand that. There's got to be a third party. Clearly, I would take forward but obviously, also, I'm biased. I'd rather be Libertarian Party, obviously, right? I'm clearly biased. But I would take any third party, if we can get one, if I have any choice, I'll take any of them. So my, my request to your audience, whatever side you lean left, lean right, lean whatever you lean, if you can vote third party, third party. No matter what, if you can, vote third party. And that does lead me to... This last question, do you think the black vote is less effective being connected to only one political party? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> oh my God, yes. It's so terrible. Why do you think no one, why do you think no one has to help black people? Why bother? The, the Republic, I, I, was, I thought of this years ago. I mean, it was probably the, I think it was probably around 2000 or so. I forgot when it was in that area, 20 years ago. So I was like, you know what? We should all vote Republican. Like for one election. I was thinking that, right? If we just all vote Republican, like all of us just got together and said, we're going to vote Republican this time, right? Like we all just did it. It would shock the entire country. Democrats would go, oh my God, we can't just show up every four years and act like we care. We have to actually fix stuff. And Republicans would go, oh my God, if we talk to black people, they might vote for us. Oh my God, that would actually happen. But why bother, right? It doesn't matter, right? No one... They care about Hispanics and Asians because Hispanics and Asians, they swap their vote. We don't. They don't care. They don't care. So the more who go libertarian, the better. The more, the better. And there are black libertarians. There are, right? There's not as many as I'd like, obviously, right? Eric July is, is, is popular and Thomas Sowell is probably the most famous of them all. There are, there are many black libertarians out there, um, but not enough. And if we went, if, 
If we went libertarian, again, I know I'm biased, but I don't care if libertarian, I'm biased. If we went libertarian, at least Republicans would go, oh my God, we could actually get the black vote. Why don't we start caring? And Democrats would go, oh my God, we could lose the black vote. Why don't we start caring? That's why no one cares about us, because we just keep giving our vote away. All right, Larry. In the last few minutes we got, tell people how they can get in touch with you. Uh, check out your uh, podcast, all that good stuff. Grossly simple. Larry Sharp. It's sharp with an E. Just Google Larry Sharp. I'm the first four pages to Google. I'm that popular. It's fine. It's, the other two Larry Sharps that were popular actually passed away. I'm, I'm the last one standing. <laughs> so, so, yes, you can just Google Larry Sharp. It's fine. But LarrySharp.com. I'm on all the things. I'm on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, locals. I'm on everything. Larry Sharp is the answer. Well, Larry, uh, appreciate you taking the time out, brother. Uh, uh, I do want you to come back. I, I, I am extending an open invitation whenever you want to come back on um, because I appreciate the dialogue. And, and maybe because I've been able to get some folks on the Republican side, and of course I can get some Democrats, maybe we could actually have a real conversation about an issue. We'll, we'll play with that. But uh, again, I love it. I'm in. All right, brother. Well, thank you so much, man. Keep up the good work and uh, uh, God bless. And ladies and gentlemen, we'll catch y'all on the other side. All right, and so we are back, and I hope that y'all appreciate Brother Sharp coming on the show, um, explaining his position on libertarianism, uh, as I have told you, <coughs> excuse me, repeatedly, and wow, that sounded like a parent talking, so I've let y'all know, let me put it that way. Um that we're going to, this podcast is going to do its part to make sure that as many voices uh, as possible can be heard in different viewpoints. Um, You know, my history speaks for itself as far as my political affiliation, but before I was anything, I was born a black man in America. So black voices, no matter where they come from, need to be heard politically. And so, and Brother Sharp is a good brother, uh, just like Sister Killings and uh, Brother Stevens, uh, who's been on the show, who come from two sections of of the Republican uh, Party. Um, All our voices need to be heard. So that is an open invitation for folks, Um, you know, and it's not just, you know, people from our community that can come on. There are people from other communities that can come on and espouse their political beliefs and and agendas. Um, And it's try to minimize any kind of debate or confrontation because I get if I want to, I can get a whole half hour to counter anything. 
nonetheless, um, I hope you got some out of that. Now, for the brief time that I have, a whole bunch of stuff has happened. I got in a little something because it just was irritating me last episode about Governor DeSantis and uh, wishing him uh, blessings in dealing with hurricane season. Uh, hopefully, whatever hits uh, will not do any major damage to the state uh, and impact its citizens adversely. I don't want to wish anything bad on people I don't agree with. Um, but if I disagree with you, I'm going to let you know. And I'd rather for you to be live and healthy to deal with it or respond to it, you know, than the alternative. So um, having said all that, I hope that Florida is going to be okay um, as this podcast is being recorded. But I got that one out of the way. But there was another thing that happened in Georgia. There were several things that happened. but And I'm going to try to see if I can tie it in. And it all depends on how I flow. But in Georgia, a 21-year-old black man was convicted of involuntarily manslaughter and sentenced to 10 years. And you would say, you know, especially with Atlanta, why is this a big deal? It's a big deal because it shows the hypocrisy of stand your ground, right? We've got a guy that's running for re-election for governor in Georgia named Brian Kemp, and he got the legislature to pass a law to say that everybody can carry a gun, right? We used to have to have, if you carried it openly, you didn't have to have a permit, but if you concealed it, you have to have one. Now there's no paperwork. You, you go buy a gun. If you pass a background check, you, you can carry it however you want to carry it, right, in Georgia, which law enforcement is not too happy with that. Uh, and it's a trick for black men because some black men and women, uh, if you the law still applies, if you have committed a felony or been convicted of a felony, you can't have a gun. And if somehow you bypass the background check or whatever, and you have a gun in your possession, there could be a problem for you. That could be an additional five years for you. So, um, just wanted to put that PSA out there. Anyway, so this incident happened prior to that law taking place. This happened during the summer of 2020, we were dealing with the pandemic and dealing with uh, the aftermath of the George Floyd lynching. And this brother, whose name is Mark Wilson, was with his girlfriend down in Statesboro, Georgia. For those of you who are not familiar, Statesboro is where Georgia Southern University is located. Uh and Statesboro's had its history, racial history. Uh, of course, as everybody now, well, I mean, they're trying to sweep that under the rug, but one of the more high profile lynchings in America took place in Georgia, in Statesboro, Georgia. And it was two men. Uh, look that up because I've, I've, I've got to try to get some of this 
stuff off my mind. So I, I'm not going to go into that. Anyway, um, Brother Wilson is girlfriend. Uh, Brother Wilson is biracial. His girlfriend is white. They were leaving and a group of drunk white teenagers in a pickup truck, tell me if you've heard this story before, started harassing them because Mark looks black. And uh, he identifies as such. And so they started harassing him. They got in their car, uh, Mark and his girlfriend, and they started driving off. And the teenagers who were drunk, by the way, and this is an important point because they were drunk. They were in high school and none of them got arrested for a DUI in all of that. That I'm about to tell you what happened. So they're driving drunk, following and harassing Mark and his girlfriend. Uh, it got to a point where Mark felt threatened. And it seemed like it was a good reason to be because Mark had a gun and him being young, right? Um, probably a little hot-headed, right? And especially with all the atmosphere. And that's why I had to put it in context of when this happened. This was like in June of 2020. Um, Mark pulled out his gun and basically was just letting them know that he had a gun and he wanted them to stop. Well, these teenagers took that as, oh, it's on. And they started firing back at Mark. So what started off as a warning shot ended up being a gunfight, right? And in the process, a young lady, young teenage girl, white girl, got killed and she just happened to be in the back seat. Um, when all was said and done, obviously the police were notified. People are driving down the road shooting. Uh, Mark was arrested and the district attorney for that judicial circuit sought murder charges for Mark killing the young white girl. Um, so, you know, and there's going to be some people upset with me because I didn't mention her name, but there's a reason why I don't talk about the girl that got shot and killed in January 6th. Cause here's my thing about that. And whereas I don't want to see any life lost. If you do something to perpetuate that. I don't look at you as a hero. I look at you as somebody who suffered consequences. And that may sound cold-blooded and it may sound insensitive. But especially when a black life is in jeopardy because of those actions. And there were black police officers on January 6th and it was a young black man, Mark Wilson, in Statesboro. Um, yeah. So people may say I'm insensitive about that. So be it. I'm incensed that none of the survivors were arrested 
on the just on the principle of drinking under age that no investigation was followed up on and who served them the alcohol and no prosecution was taken care of. But this DA wanted to go after Mark Wilson because a young white girl was killed in a gunfight. So fortunately for Mark, he had competent defense and they were able to paint the story so that a jury of his peers um, did not charge him with uh, murder. What they did charge him or convict him of, rather, instead of charge, convicted, instead of convicting him of murder, they convicted him of involuntary manslaughter. Now, found out that they were, the jury was given instructions about felony involuntary manslaughter manslaughter, but they were not given instructions on misdemeanor and voluntary manslaughter. And I do believe that if they had had a choice based on how the story was portrayed, they were going with the lesser sentence that they could give. If they had the option, if they knew they had the option that there was a misdemeanor and voluntary manslaughter, they would have given Mark that. But since they were not instructed that that was an option, they went with the lowest option they could, which was felony and voluntary manslaughter. Because he did fire the gun and somebody died. But Mark's defense was stand your ground. And instead of being acquitted on stand your ground, they found him guilty of something. And all I can think about is Trayvon Martin. And the fact that here was a 16 year old kid that was fighting for his life. And the dude who started the fight killed him and he got off now granted it was a different state just a little bit south of georgia and florida nonetheless stand your ground and stand your ground because i introduced the stand you i was one of the sponsors of stand your ground bill in mississippi full disclosure and that was because black folks said they were tired of black folks coming up in their driveways stealing their cars breaking into houses and they wanted to protect their property just like white folks did and so that was that was my justification for it. And, and I stand by that. I think people should have the right to defend their property and their loved ones and their, and their lives. Um, but if we're going to have the law, then it needs to be equally distributed. If stand your ground can work for white folks, it could work for a 21-year-old black man. And based on the story that was told, if that wasn't a factor, then that jury would have just followed the lead of the DA and convicted a black man of murder and left him in there for life. So now this brother, the max he could get for involuntary manslaughter is 10 years. And I think that's a tragedy of justice. I hope that it's appealed. And I know it's going to be appealed. And I hope that the Georgia Supreme Court overturns it. Um based on what was presented and and we ruled that there was of this is a violation uh of his eighth amendment that is an excessive punishment um so keep an eye on that one probably won't hear anything about that again 
for a few months or sometime in 2023. But just bookmark that. The name is Mark, M-A-R-C, Wilson. And, uh, you know, you can look it up and, and make your assessments, but that's mine, right? So I wanted to, especially in light of the dedication to the show, I, since it was a justice issue, I wanted to uh, put that out there. Now, um, there's there's a few other things. So I'm going to tie two things in. Uh there's a couple of subjects I want to address, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to encapsulate one of them in a big kind of thing. And it deals with fantasy, fantasy and well, not fantasy solely, but entertainment and how we black people are portrayed on the screen. And there's, there's three works that have come out recently there is the newest uh adaptation of J.R.R. Tolkien's uh work called Rings of Power and uh Tolkien is the guy who gave us the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings all that right uh there's Disney who has come out with a new version of Little Mermaid and then there's uh, a movie uh, where Viola Davis is the star and Latasha Lynch, from what I understand, steals the show. But those are two of the high-profile actresses in this movie called The Woman King. Now, the controversy of The Woman King is that it's a story about women warriors who protected the kingdom of Dahomey. And... These women were legendary. As a matter of fact, they were the inspiration for the all-female military that protects the Black Panther in the comic books, right? And in the movies. Uh, That's how bad these sisters were. And they were, when the Europeans encountered them, they used the term Amazons with them. This was like real-life Amazons based off the mythological characters in, in Greek mythology. And uh, so this movie de- depicts a, a moment in time uh, that, and this was set like in the early 1800s, right? So the Dahomey were a group of, was an African kingdom that actively participated in the slave trade. The Dahomey, and, and you know, those of us who paid attention or actually had real black history, African history classes, knew that Africans participated in the slave trade. All these different kingdoms would fight each other. And so part of war that you know is that there's, casualties and then there's prisoners of war and so the Dahomey were no different they had prisoners of war for you know from kingdom other kingdoms that the rival kingdoms that they fought they captured these people and basically enslaved them themselves you know they had to serve that kingdom and that was 
kind of the custom, not just in Africa, but anywhere where men fought each other and captured people. Uh, and some of these people would work their way to freedom and other folks would be servants for life, right? Just all depends on how valuable the, the you know those kingdoms thought they were. So when the Europeans, especially the British, showed up, uh, the Dahomey realized that these captors, these prisoners, were of some value. And so they started the slave trade. Now, the other thing that the Dahomey were known for in that particular region of Africa was their palm oil. And it eventually got to the debate, and that's kind of the era in which this movie is depicted, um, that there was there was a concern about um, getting out of the slave trade once they knew what exactly slavery was going on in the new world. They got they've heard stories. There were some that wanted to get out of that and deal strictly just the palm oil exports and all that. Anyway, so you get the gist of the controversy. the 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 thing is that there are some black people that say, "Oh, well, we got these black folks, and they depicted them, and they'll probably win Oscars and all that." But it's again a negative deal. It's like you got black slave traders that you're glorifying on the screen. And you know, one of one of my uh, classmates had posted something, you know, critical of the movie, and I and I, basically my response, I appreciated his perspective, and I appreciate black folks who understand history and, and have some concerns. But I told him, you know, I'm not going to boycott this movie and I'm not going to boycott any movie that deals with British history either. Uh, because even though it's not quote unquote, a hundred percent accurate as far as exact words and, and actions and all that, it gives you the story. It gives you the gist about these people did exist and it gives you a, 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 broad, a, a broad enough overview to understand their dynamics and why they were significant in history, right? And so I look at those pieces and I do my own research and evaluation. And so that's what I'm asking you all to do is to do that, right? Then the other controversy is the typical racism controversy. I mentioned Rings of Power and I mentioned The Little Mermaid. Right. So there are white people <laughs> who are upset that there are black people in a J.R.R. Tolkien film. Now, J.R.R. Tolkien was white and these stories were basically stories that he came up with to entertain his grandchildren and basically put them to sleep. These are bedtime stories that he decided to publish in you know, the rest is history. Uh, I, I, you know, Mr. Tolkien is no longer with us. And I, I would gather that if he was, I don't think he would be upset that some of the characters in his stories were people of color, right? The worldview he may have had was just a lens of white people, but these were creatures he made up so they could look like anything. The storytellers that adapted his work 
wanted. They could have been all black, right? But people are upset about that. And now people are upset that the Little Mermaid now, uh, who's being portrayed by this incredible black singer, young black singer, Haley Bailey. Um, and I noticed that one of the major events, sporting events this year, they had her sing the national anthem right as this this new unveiling of the Little Mermaid came in. I thought that was pretty slick. Um, you know, and people are going crazy because now there's a Black Mermaid. And if you really understood history and culture, you know, every culture around the sea had their own version of what a mermaid looked like, especially those Africans who were enslaved and then became permanent residents of the Caribbean islands. So to see the little children, right? I just remember the princess and the frog, how black children of that generation were like, oh, a black princess, right? It's the same reaction with children of this generation seeing this black girl playing Ariel, the mermaid. And the entertainment Karens and Johns or whatever you want to call the men just have to get over it, right? Because Hollywood for years has depicted white people as people of color. The most distinctive one that always hits my mind is Elizabeth Taylor playing Cleopatra. Now I get it. They wanted Cleopatra to be beautiful. Elizabeth Taylor was considered a sex symbol during that time period, but she wasn't Egyptian. And she played a woman who was part Egyptian, part Greek. And Liz Taylor was none of those things. And it's considered one of the classic movies, that version of it, right? And we've seen people of color depicted by white people and everything, even birth of a nation. When they wanted to depict the black guys that were savages and raping white women, these were white guys in blackface. So <laughs> you know, white people need to get over that. Quick, fast, in a hurry, like yesterday. Because you don't have a problem with white entertainers like Bo Derek, or that's telling my age, or Iggy Azalea, you know, appropriating, as some people would say, or embracing, as some of us would say, Black culture in their art, whether it's acting or rapping or whatever. You paint them as sex symbols, even those two women in your culture. But their claim to fame could be identified with black women. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So it's like, just get off of this double standard and just accept the fact. And, and why can't white girls be impressed about this beautiful black mermaid? Why can't they... Why would that bother them? Why would you think that was a problem? Right? Maybe their worldview might be better if they saw a hero 
like Black Panther or a Little Mermaid. Y'all about to drop serious money for Black Adam. And I understand y'all y'all love The Rock, but y'all know The Rock is black, right? So Black Adam is going to be a black superhero. And he's not named Black Adam because he's black. He's named Black Adam because he's the antithesis of Captain Marvel or Shazam or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> y'all y'all are about to fawn over another black superhero. I'm about to pay major ducats. You love them in WWE. You love them in every movie he's in. And when you see him paired with Kevin Hart, you're seeing two black male lead actors. Participating on your screen, entertaining you. You even like them in cartoon form, right? So y'all need to get over that. Really, really. And just get out of that Archie Bunker mentality, man. And just and just deal with the world as it is. Except the world is not painted in a Caucasian view. Understand that the world is diverse and beauty and strength and heroism comes in many different shapes, sizes, and colors. Please get over that. Now, I don't really have time to get into the other things, and maybe I'll get into that next episode. But we, we've got to stop hating each other. And, and I was reminded of a quote, and I'll close with this. It was from a black man, Jimi Hendrix, who a lot of y'all white people liked, especially back in the day when he was alive and performing. His guitar version of Star Spangled Banner is legendary, along with a host of other songs. He's, his estate is still making money. But Jimmy said something very, very profound that I think we need to embrace. He said, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. Racism is about the love of power. And when you decide to flip that and just embrace the power of love, we won't have these, what I call Starbucks debates that escalate into major deals, right? We'll just love the people we see. We'll embrace the people that we see. We won't try to do harm to them. We'll just love them. Until next time.